Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, the podcast for writers who strive to be bold and readers who crave something new. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to stay in touch. So subscribe to this podcast, then go to writingtherongway.com and enter your best email to receive the Martian Embassy Missive, my bi-weekly newsletter where I let you know what's happening on Mars, where we're always making big plans. Join the Martians so you don't get left out of the invasion at writingtherongway.com. And as a special bonus, I'll send you a free book. Speaking of books, my new book is The Lightning of Possible Storms, a collection of short fiction that reads like a novel. It includes stories about a mad scientist trying to steal his son's dreams, a story where a personification of capitalism is trying to impress his boss by winning a contest at work, a story about a Hollywood producer who just decides to adapt a bunch of explosions, uh, and many other stories, some funny, some terrifying. Salima Nawaz uh, says that is cheerfully horrifying and full of the unexpected. Suzette Mayer says it's beautifully written and expertly composed. And I say, uh, it's time you read this book. I've been working on it for almost 20 years, and I'm excited to share it with you. So please go to PossibleStorms.com. Again, that's PossibleStorms.com, and you'll find out a lot more about this book and some of the bonuses that you can get when you buy this book. Let's get on with the show. We were just uh, talking off with the record of Ryan's um, manuscripts he's got out and about how our MacBook batteries are nightmares. That's what that's what people want to hear. That's what people want to hear. That's what the kids want to hear. Kids want to hear about that. They want to hear about what we're playing on Nintendo Switch. Yep. Right, what are you playing on Nintendo Switch these days? Uh, as if I'm playing anything else, I play. Uh, I, I I put over a thousand hours into Mario Maker <laughs> Two. I just uh, got Mario Maker year. Two, and I uh, I've been trying Ryan's levels. Ryan, you should tell people your Maker code. You should like dig it out. Uh, if anybody man, is listening to this podcast, number one, if anybody's listening to this podcast, number two, and they have Mario Maker Two, number three, they should play Ryan's poetry themed levels. Or at least they're not really poetry theme, but they're. I just don't want to. I don't want to boot my my switch up. So I'm like... going to tell. I'm going to read it out of, off my my text here. Oh, uh, go. You do it. Actually, I don't have. Hang on. I got to look at my computer for it. But Ryan has been making. Tell us about. Tell people about. The, while I'm looking for it, tell people about your Mario Maker level design philosophy. Uh, so it's not my Mario Maker uh, design philosophy. I'm uh, I'm lifting from a design philosophy from a group of like hardcore ROM hackers um, who produce what are called Kaizo levels. And Kaizo in Japanese just means rearrange. But it's like um, these, uh, these, it originally started with these, these people um, going into like Super Mario World and hacking the game in order to create new levels. But the levels were like kind of impossibly difficult. And, uh, like to the to the point that it was like I think the first one was like a dare, like so this guy made it for his friend and said here play this, um, but it's become a whole thing and I think it blew up in popularity around the time of Mario Maker One because all of a sudden people it was way easier to kind of get into like learning how to build these levels, um, but these levels are kind of like big into like impossible tricks like shell jumps and. And stuff like that, which I I cannot do. I'm not competent. I'm not a competent enough player. 
But what I like about the Kaizo levels is um, is it's one trick at a time. They're like hyper linear. So like the level, if the level is good, you even if you can't do the trick, you know what you can do next or what you have to do next because there's only one thing to do. Um, and I think that's kind of exciting that you can make something really difficult, but that like it doesn't hold the player's hand, but makes it extremely clear uh, what ha- what the execution is. And so, and I wonder and I wonder if poetry can do that, but that's a, a different conversation. And and Ryan has named all these levels after books of some sort. So every level is like the name of a book. You know, like uh, I'm trying to remember the one I was playing the other day. Uh, you had one named after, jeez, uh, I can't remember now, a Louis Cabri book, if I recall correctly. Mood Embosser, I think you had one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Mar- the Mario Maker code, if you have Mario Maker, t- is it two or one, or does both work, or just two? Uh, just two. So if you have Mario Maker 2, Ryan's Maker code is LRM7HM8DF. So again, lrm 7HM8DF. And you can go check out these impossibly difficult levels. I'm playing a little bit of that Mario Maker, but I'm, I'm just playing through like the actual game itself. Uh, Partition of it at this point. I tried some of your levels, but otherwise I have stayed out of Course World. Um, just because I just haven't played a Mario, like a classic Mario for a while. Yeah. So I just need to kind of remember how to play it. You know what I mean? So um, and get some of that muscle memory back. So I figure if I play through the uh, the game proper, which is really just playing different random levels. Um, well, they're not random, but you know they're they're game levels. Uh, I figure after I'm done doing that, um, I'll be maybe ready to kind of dive into Course World a little bit. Yeah. Mess around in there. Well, and the and the joy of Course World for me is that like. Um... Because I play, I play the rawest, like most unfiltered garbage. Uh, because uh, the joy of the game for me is uh, is learning how to compose. Like it's 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 like the kind of joy I got uh, reading reading the slush pile at filling station fifteen years ago, where you would read. Is it okay if I call people's poems bad that are and in the slush I pile? I would call them bad. Uh, I feel Either like than the slush pile or not. <laughs> but it was like reading these like poems of like mixed quality and like how it helps you understand um, why you're writing your poetry the way you are. Like even in negative, you go, writing. I don't, I don't, I don't like this poem, but in order to like convince the other people on the collective that I don't want this in the magazine, I have to be able to articulate why I don't like it. And I, that's useful. I teach every um, year, Ryan, I teach the movie Jack and Jill. Which I don't know if you do. You know what the movie Jack and Jill is? Oh, I've seen it. It's, it's very You've seen bad. it, right? It's um. Yeah. Ad, so if you don't know Jack and Jill, you people, uh, Adam Sandler plays both Jack and his sister Jill, uh, in an absolute nightmare movie that is so incompetently bad, uh, to the degree that you really have to wonder how the movie was put together. Like it's not a taste thing. Uh, Either I kind of enjoy the movie to be frank, because, <laughs> but like from a the point of view, from an objective point of view, it is a poorly designed movie. There are like things like in it where 
like it just kind of cuts from there's actually moments in the movie where it cuts from one scene to another scene and now the characters are referencing a scene that just happened but we never saw <laughs> like it was clearly filmed at some point and then deleted from the movie but they kept in the part of the movie where they talk about the deleted scene like it's just a stunningly bizarre film and it also has a weird subplot with Al Pacino which actually contains a series of complicated literary allusions to Don Quixote and unless you know the play both the book and the play version of Don Quixote the Man of La Mancha play adaptation unless you have a familiarity with both those uh, texts you can't actually understand what is happening in the plot of this the Jack and Jill subplot it's just this bizarre like incompetent the written or put together or edited or both uh, movie. It's it's a stunning thing, and I teach it every year as a negative example of like I, I literally just have people like running through like what's wrong with this movie on a technical level, and it's it's way more. Uh, I think it's very uh, much a thing you can learn from in a way that it's kind of hard to learn from like a more you know quote unquote masterpiece because it, so often they're hiding what they're doing. In a shell game. Yeah, if only you could do that. If only you could do that with poetry. Just then, if you if you did that, someone would find out that you were teaching their book as as if it were bad. Um, yeah, I, I, that's the thing. It's such a small poetry world. <laughs> I mean, I know you and I both know this. Adam Sandler book. doesn't give a shit if you like his movie or not. No. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just quite the. Um, it, it's just it's a very um, interesting though. I think. Like you're saying, to, if you, it's very, it's very clear what is happening in a bad piece of writing in a way that's not clear in a good piece of writing. Sometimes, like even if you can pinpoint in both cases what's going on and why you like something or don't like something or whatever, like how it's working, I think is sometimes apparent in both. But it's more apparent when things aren't working, just because they're falling apart. So much of like, especially in a certain genres, like if you're reading a thriller, like a fast paced thriller, say, so much of it is about you not getting you to not notice things. Yeah. Just to keep the pace up. Whereas like a sonnet doesn't have that concern. Um, And it's more obvious in its artifice than I think a free verse poem, which is maybe less obvious. And therefore, you know, it's kind of hard to see sometimes what's going on on a craft level in it. Like I teach Aaron Giovannone sometimes, and I think it's very hard in his poems to see what's happening because they are very yeah. artificial. But it's it, he's just doing certain like it's sleight of hand, if that makes sense. Do you no, find? Uh, I mean, the other thing I've been playing is like a bunch of weird indie games. Like um, I'm playing this Carry On game where you like are. You, you play as this monster in a horror sort of scenario. you breaking out of a research facility um, and you have to like destroy, you have to escape the facility and like slaughter your human captors. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, playing like the thing from like the perspective of the, jo- of the thing itself. Um, and I'm playing a game called Runer, which is kind of a more like a weird anime, m- you know, inspired uh, like uh I don't know what you can even call it, like kind of vicious, you know, uh, game. 
and then some like fun or weird i got this you know, rpg i'm playing called swords of ditto where like it, the game like keeps punishing you for dying and every like few days you have to try to beat the you have to try to beat the entire game or it'll just slaughter you. <laughs> it's kind of a weird, you know, uh, like, so I'm playing a lot of these kind of like indie-ish um, games, but then like Mario Maker 2 is really hooking me. How's your reading going? I've read, so this, we should talk a little briefly about what we're, where we're sitting at with the 95 books. Um I know you were saying you're done. I'm well. So so right now we're. I don't know when I'm going to put this up. Uh, put this out exactly. But right now it's August, uh, 2020. I mean I'll put this up in 2020. But it's August right now. I've read 109 books. Now most of them have been uh, poetry books and, and graphic novels. Uh, so you know they're not necessarily books that take the longest amount of time to read compared to say like. I still have not read the Ian Williams novel that I said I would read, but I will read it before the end of the year. I just have, you know, at this point I haven't read it, um, but I've read 109 books and yeah. Uh, so I've officially finished 95 books from that point of view. Where are you sitting at? Uh, Again, we're just on August here. Yeah. I'm, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near. So I thought I'm you were at- hitting me for a while there. I might have been. I kind of like uh, if we if we counted if we counted half finished books, sure. I would probably be on par with you. Yeah. I also stopped buying new poetry books because of COVID. Yeah, because sure. it just found like 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 I wasn't going to the bookstore because that was like like most of like most of the poetry books I would get I'd be like casual pickups at wherever. Uh, so I'm sitting at the very the very nice number of 69 books read. Nice. Uh, most most thank you. Uh, most of which is poetry. I kind of did the breakdown. So I've read uh, 48 books of poetry, um, 14 nonfiction books. But again, like if we counted half finished books, yeah. that that number would be a lot bigger because like there's been a lot of like academic books where I've read like. Uh, the intro in the first couple chapters and then set it down because I had to read something else. Uh, and then I've read seven novels or seven things I would classify in some way as fiction, although sure. a couple of those a couple of those I'm not sure they should be in the fiction category. but I made a rule uh, not to, I made a rule not to count my own book and I've read my own book ten times because I've been going through the proofs of this book. I finally am done. yeah, but I like, what I what I do with the proofs is the thing I do not recommend to other people, which is that every time they send me a proof, so like they send me a proof and I read through it, I say these are the changes I would make and the you know that I want made in the proof, and then I send it back them back. So then they give me the second version of the proof. I read the entire thing again. <laughs> so like most people and it should uh, and could just read the pages that you know were supposed to be changed, but I'll read I'll just read the whole entire book again. Yeah, at what point did they get mad at you? Um, that's a good... Well, they haven't <laughs> said they're mad at me. <laughs> but they have taken it away from me. <laughs> at this point, it's you know, it, I've, it's, I've, it's, it's been finalized. There's no more you know, yeah. times I can read the proof. But, you know, I still miss Thanks. two things. I usually catch every single thing. But then I, I, when I sent my last thing, I'm like, everything's done. I go, I don't need to see it again. Don't worry. 
And then Jay's like, actually, Hazel caught two other things. I'm like, ah, son of a bitch. And then I wanted to read the whole thing again, but I'd already yeah. committed to not doing, being a, that's my like window where I'll allow myself to be an insane perfectionist. But, you know, but it's literally like, well, I'll be like, should there be a space? <laughs> Are there two spaces here? Can you go, can you check, you know? Yeah, and that's the level at which I'll miss stuff. I mean, I, I, I typically catch it, but it's, you know, it's, it's tricky with this thing that's not a poetry book. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, it's a short story book, but it's like, you know, even though it's a relatively short story book, it comes in about 200 pages. But uh, still, you know, it's a lot of, it's like, what, 60,000 words? You got to, you know, it's a lot of words to read. Yeah. So I'm not counting any of those, but that's another 10 books if you want it to be technical about it, you know. But alas, um, I will never read it again at this point. Although I'm pretty happy with it. I didn't get sick of it. I just, you know, I, I, I'm afraid to look at it again. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it because I haven't yeah, read it. We'll see. So. It'll be September 30th. It'll be out. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But, um, and, uh, yeah, you've been piling up the manuscripts here. We were just talking before, we, you know, I started recording about Ryan's, uh, various books, uh, in process or coming out. I don't know if you're talking about the one that's coming out at this point, but, um, but yeah, but you haven't been getting yeah. too many new books, say I, I've been trying to not to, the one thing I've been getting is I've been getting a lot of graphic novels coming into the house because, yeah. um, just because I, I have like books on order all the time, you know, like it's like, like if I'm following the series, I'll just tell this comic book store that I get my books from to like, just pull, pull every issue of this series or something or like pull for some of them. I, I refuse to like buy like a Marvel comic, but I'll pull like the trade collection yeah. just because I don't want to see ads. Um, but like for like an image comic, maybe I'll pull the comic itself say, cause there's no ads. Uh, but so like, the, but anyway, there's been, I don't know, I don't want to get into like the, the nuts and bolts of it, but the nutshell is that the comic distribution chain has become basically has like, it was shut down entirely for a while. There's all this sort of stuff going on and it's just in a lot of kind of transition and drama. And so it was kind of a scenario where if I stopped buying the books, uh, then my bookstore itself would probably shut down. Yeah. Uh, because of like the way that, you know, the, the, the comic distribution chain works. So I've still been like getting, I haven't been going there every week, but I've been like every once in a while I'll go pick up a big batch of stuff that's there and just, just, just so I can pay for them as opposed to, you know, letting them be on the hook for it because they're just sitting there because they can't cancel the orders or, so, or whatever. They're just like a standing order. It's like, yeah. you know, it just kind of gets like convoluted. But um, that's why I've been reading all these graphic novels. I mean, I'm, I'm like writing this comic and stuff because I just uh, signed to do a, a mini series with this company. But um, so I'm like, that's why I'm like in the comic. So I find, kind of feel like I'm cheating with Knife Head books because it's like, I mean, it's, you know, there are books. Like it's, I'm talking like big trade collections. I'm not counting every single yeah. issue. I'm kind of like, like a graphic novel, basically, yeah. uh, worth of stuff. But still. It's not like I, reading a 500-page, you know, whatever. But it's still, you know, we, we went through all these rules before 100 times, yeah. I'm sure. It's still a book, and I'm counting it. Yeah, it counts. And, you know, yeah. 109. 
but yeah, a lot of that's poetry, as you say. So I don't know. I, I haven't counted exactly, but because it's April, it's at least um, uh, 36, 40 poetry books in there. Yeah. Well, in the poetry book, like, uh, even though people hate it when I quantify it like this, uh, mm-hmm. you read a book of poetry in an hour. You can. I mean, yeah. You'll probably have to reread it. Yeah. But. I mean, I, I won't often read them that fast, but, um, but you could, like, it depends what it is, right? Yeah. I find if I'm really enjoying it, I won't read it as fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, reading the Disgraphist, ext, I don't know how to pronounce it, Disgraphist. Yeah, the right new uh, Kinesia Lubrin book. Yeah, so that's taking me longer than I would normally read a book. Uh, even how's, that so, how's that so far? I'm liking it. I mean, I, again, I'm not super far into it at this point, but I'm liking it quite a lot. You know the poetry book I like the most recently is uh, Cassandra Blanchard's uh, Fresh Pack of Smokes. Have you, oh, that you, book's great. Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, Mercedes Ng told me to read it. So, like, that was a book I went out of my way to get when I was in Vancouver, I can't remember if it was when I was there, like, last summer or when I was there at Christmas. But, uh, yeah, it's great. And it's kind of like, um, it's poetry, but it's also kind of, like, a bit flash fiction-y. Although it's not mm-hmm. fiction. It's, like, no. autobiographical. But, like, but it's, like, prose poetry that does narrative. kind of read flash fiction-y in a, in a way. But I, that is a book there that I felt was very... Um, uh, very well crafted, but very much doing a lot of work to sh- pretend it wasn't well crafted. If that makes yeah. sense, like no, it's, that makes it's sense. really flying under the radar. A lot of what she's doing is very complicated and, and intriguing. And I was really impressed by that book, especially. I I, is it anybody, her first book? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I haven't heard it, anybody outside of Vancouver talk about that book. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a weird time right now, but like. I feel like it's really been flying under the radar uh, because I've rarely heard people talk about it, um, and I'd have really har- hardly heard anyone talk about her. Even I never heard of her before I got this book uh, sent to me, and um, I kind of just like put it in a pile and didn't think too much about it because at a glance I'm just like, well, whatever. It didn't look super interesting to me, uh, but then I just kind of I, then you had mentioned that you really enjoyed it, and I was just also just kind of like. Every once in a while, I grab like a big stack of these books, and I'll just like start reading excerpts from them, just to sort of see which ones I might want to read next, kind of thing. Yeah. And it just grabbed me like instantly once I started to actually look at it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very impressed by that book. And I, so I, of the stuff I've read recently, that's probably the book I was most impressed by, for sure. Um, I liked Amber Dawn's um, "My Art Is Killing Me" a lot too. Yeah, I quite like that because you had mm-hmm. sent that book to me. That's one of the yeah, I got like two one copies of, newer, of it. That's one of the newer books that I have read because uh, I think I got a batch from you right before COVID, and then uh, and then I ordered, I, like I ordered like four or five because uh, I was like I haven't I literally haven't read anything from this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but that Amber Dawn book I thought was like it's very sharp and funny. That's what I yeah. like about that. I love the. Uh, the section where it's just um, uh, weird amalgamations. She's kind of like parodying by mishmashing together a variety of the like requests she's received. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really, I thought it was really, you know, kind of interesting. And she, that's a book that had these kind of sequence. When you talk about, you know, 
the, the Blanchard book being having sort of a narrative structure. I thought uh, she had these sections which were really they kind of had an essayistic quality to them. Yeah. They kind of had this narrative structure to them, but then they were all these you know very much poems in you know these very uh, very controlled uh, but kind of loose and engaging stylistically. Like I thought it was really uh, impressive. I've seen other stuff by Amardon that I mean I liked it. But this is probably the, one of the better books I've seen by her, for sure. Yeah, I think the only other book I had read by her was uh, one of her other books of poetry. is like, by the, what is it? I can't, like, it's got a long title. It's like, The Book Ends Where My Body Begins. Does that sound right? That's yeah, probably yeah. wrong. That's something like that. Uh, it's not precisely I, it, but I And I haven't, yeah. I haven't read any of her fiction, which I'm sure is great. Uh, but, like, I did, like... I did like this new one like quite a bit more, and I think it was the like the level of humor and um, and the way and the, and the way like as you're saying it kind of like is straddling the line between kind of poetry and essay almost mm-hmm. like personal essay. Yeah, I don't do see a whole ton of stuff that does that really well. Like I I've tried to do it here and there. Uh, Lisa Robertson is probably my favorite person who does it, but uh, I thought this was, but she doesn't have any humor to her at all, typically, like here and there. Uh, But um, uh, I thought it was, it was very biting and like harsh, the Dawn Dawn book, but had like that, you know, still an interesting, like sarcastic vibe in places, but yeah, but then it could drop it really fast. I think, you know, I've talked about this a few times, but I really appreciate um, when when when, a, when an author can bring these different registers of voice in and yeah. like just kind of start shuttling one over the other um, in a in an interesting fashion, um, I think sometimes it, it, it when it fails, it you get this weird mishmash and it doesn't seem like anything's hanging together. But when it really works, it's 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 quite interesting to me. Like you had, the other one I liked a lot recently was the Louis Cabri book. Um, I don't know if you've looked at that yet. I haven't even seen it yet. It's called. Um, no, I just blank on the. T- oh, you know what? I'll look at my list because I am doing ninety-five bucks. Um, it's called Hungry Slingshots. A new star put it out, and uh, it's is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. He's got he's got a section where he's um, mimicking bird song, uh, but like, but very much writing, you know, in that kind of. Um, uh, with all these kind of capitalistic phrases and, uh, you know, uh, and slogans and that, uh, you know, KSW style, um, you know, uh, word mishmashing of, you know, corporatized uh, speak, but it is very recognizably birdsong. Oh, okay. You know, so, you know, he's got a number of kind of poems in there where he kind of weirdly and interestingly is sort of doing the thing he normally does, but then has these odd ways he connects it or twists like conventional Canadian poetry uh, material. Yeah. Uh, it's very curious because typically it's not with the actual words he's using, but just it'll just kind of like be on the, he'll be replicating certain sounds that you might normally find in a yeah. quote unquote normal poem or or just sort of, sort of, sort of weird, you know, landscape description but it, you know it, it was very curious and something that i hadn't really seen from him before well that makes no well, it make it makes sense like everything mm-hmm. you're saying about this new book like totally fits in my image of uh louis work um 
because one of the things that I like about him is is certainly the way that he'll he'll take like recognizable language and he'll start breaking it down. Like I know he's really interested in like um, like uh, PN and, and like nonce words and like like um, and kind of. Um, like words that are kind of like reduced to their sound really. Uh, and you see that a lot. Like the book of his that I quite like is, uh, oh, I like all his work, but the, for this is, uh, is poetry world, mm-hmm. uh, where he's got like, um, um, the, um, the, what is it? The poem where he's just breaking down, like, um, the word Nissan, like over and over yeah. and over in different ways. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that book. I, I assume it's out. Uh, I should have checked actually because I reviewed it. But um, I got a real book. Like it's not a it's not an arc or anything. So I presume yeah. it's like in, in stores or whatnot. Well, um, New Star. I think New Star. You have to look for out here. It's trickier to find when you're not in Vancouver. Sure. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe to kind of wheel us back to like that kind of like thinking about like the autobiographical or the essayistic, like one of the books that I really enjoyed. And I was trying to get you to read it so we could talk about it together, but it's also massively long. I is, got it. I just haven't read it yet. It's the Gladys Hindmarch uh, collected. Oh, it's kind of a selected collected or a collected selected or something uh, edited by Deanna Fong and Karis Shearer. Um, Cause that's like, um, it's a book. I think, like when I did my tally, I put it under fiction. But there's the, uh, Gladys Hindmarch or Maria Hindmarch is like um, a writer who's totally straddling lines between genres. And this book like underlines that several times. The first half of the book is uh, is just her three collected books. Um, the two big ones, uh, Birth Account, is like this proprioceptive. I don't know if it's a long poem or like a kind of poetic memoir of her um, of her like having a kid. So through the the gestation and through like the labor process, um, just really kind of like interesting and fascinating, and should be read alongside like like people like Fred Waugh and Daphne Marlatt, like in terms of, formally in terms of what it's doing. And then the other kind of of her major works is uh, is the novel, the autobiographical novel, The Watery Part of the World, which is very different than a birth account, but is kind of is this um, is the classic example of a Vancouver work novel. Reminds me of a lot of Helen Potrebenko's Taxi, which I quite like, but it's about um, a young woman who takes a job working in a kitchen on a on a ship, like. Uh, ferrying between Vancouver and I can't remember where, but like somewhere in the islands. Uh, and it's all about like uh, just life on the ship. That's really great. But the back half of this book, which I think is the interesting thing about it, is it just collects like all this like stuff that we would think of as ephemeral. So like, and puts it basically on the same level as these like major texts. So, like letters, reviews, uh, interviews, um, stuff from journal, like rough work from journals. Like, um, it's really, really great and really fascinating. And I think, like, I'd love to see someone like um, uh, write an essay sketching out, like, um, sketching out the the tr- kind of trajectory from someone like Gladys Hindmarch to uh, to writers like Amber Dawn and. Um, uh, and Blanchard. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's curious. I, I mean, I haven't read the book. I just I got it, and uh, when you first suggested, you're like, "Hey, get this book, and we'll talk about it." I'm like, yeah, sure, it sounds good. And then I got it, and it's like six thousand pages. <laughs> it's not that big, but it's like this massive tome. I'm like, "What is Ryan talking about?" Like, I thought this was like a twenty eighty page poetry book. I'm thinking, "Oh, it's eclectic. It'll be like two hundred pages." But um, but yeah, no, it looks really interesting. I was go- I was kind of going through it, and uh, and I'm I'm really looking forward to checking it out. It's great. I think like I, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm worried that it's a book that like people are going to sleep on. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, partly because of COVID, like it came out in the middle of this, and partly because like, um, and partly like Heinmarch is not like a huge, hugely recognized mm-hmm. writer. Like I can no. see people gravitating. Like it's coming out at the same time. They've got like a collected long poems from Bowering. I could see people drifting towards the bowering sure. instead of this. Um, but I like. I just think it's really not just really great, but really important. What else have you been reading lately that has impressed you, or even uh, just this year? Uh, so, like a lot of the reading I've been doing has been for for work. So, I want to mention uh, mention one. I read um, the that anthology. Have you heard of that anthology, Resisting Canada? Yes, Edited I read by, it, but I, I know what I you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like super fascinating, like structurally. I don't. Th- it's not perfect, but like I kind of don't want perfect anthologies because I think perfect anthologies are like useless. Um, but imperfect anthologies help us think about the state of the field. Um, so resistant, what resisting Canada does is it collects like a smattering of contemporary poets or well, contemporary ish. Cause like, I think it, they go back like, like, um, uh, they go back like 20, 25 years to, for some of the stuff. Um, but, uh, it's all work that's in, in resistance to the state. So in resistance to Canada. So in the introduction, um, now Lima took, um, uh, state like says outright like I'm not I'm not interested in uh, putting together an anthology that has like a diversity lens. I'm interested in stuff that's actually like res- resistant to like our idea of Canada, and uh, which I I think is like in a really interesting and potentially exciting framing. I think the way that the book is put together is a little bit problematic. So what it does is it uh, it has two sections. So the first section is all indigenous writers, and if you were to if you were to mm. write out a list of um, not that I think we should be building canons, but if you were to write out a list of um, of indigenous writers in Canada who you would consider as like um, canonical, who if you were making that list you wouldn't be able to leave them off. I think I think she hits most of those people. So like hmm. here here's a, here's the people who are in it. So like Jordan Abel. Is it a poetry anthology just to clarify? Po- okay. Yeah, it's a poetry anthology. So like Jordan Abel, uh, Marianne Hart Baker, Billy Ray Belcourt, Rosanna Deerchild, Marilyn Dumont, Marvin Francis, uh, hmm. Louise Bernie's half really. sky dancer. Yeah. Uh, Lee Miracle, Janet Rogers, Armand Rufo, Greg Schofield, and Leanne Simpson. And there's people sure. that there's people that are probably missed in there. But like that's like you, it's hard to argue any any of those names. No. Yeah. yeah. 
Francis, um, you could argue. I mean, I'm I'm glad to see Francis there, but because he's the person people don't typically think of. But so that's an impressive thing to me. But like otherwise, like you know, yeah, th- that's the list you start with for sure. Yeah, uh, I hope I didn't miss anybody there. Well, Is Beth Anne Hart Cuff- in there? Beth Cuffin. Chance? Yeah, Marianne Hart. Oh, really? uh, Beth okay. Cuffin. I think I missed when I read mm-hmm. that list. Um, and then the back half. So that I think is really interesting. Is and Simpson then the back half, uh, Leanne Simpson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so the back half I think is where it gets a little bit shaky because what the book does is it sets up this binary of like, uh, indigenous, non-indigenous. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so like the back half of the book is all like non-indigenous poets and like, you can see like, it's a bit more slapdash. Mm. Like I, I would have a hard time like arguing these people out, but like, I think if the, book was longer and and actually broke like here well, here are the black poets who are in resistance to the state in a certain way here are the well i would actually rather see a i mean i am not looking at that book so i'm not this isn't a major quibble but like if i yeah. was putting a book like that together i think the way i would want to think about things is what are the techniques of resisting and then or the sort of like thematic like the approaches to resisting, I guess, yeah. say, or the strategies rather than say, because I, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, well, you, when you, when you name those indigenous authors, for example, yeah, uh, I, there's few of them that I would lump with one another. Yeah. In terms of like the way they write. Yeah. But I could see clumping some of them together in certain ways. Yeah, like In Jordan Abel how. writes Jordan Abel writes completely differently than Anne Hart does, than Rosanna Deerchild, than Schofield. Yeah. Like, in, yeah, you're thinking about them formally. But Abel, you know, is formally would you know be very similar to say uh, I don't know Cabri as an example. Yeah. Now that he could be in this book, but like if you're just looking in terms of like uh, resisting certain ideas, like Cribri resists sort of corporatization of Canada. Yeah. Um, whereas like Abel is interested in like the corporatization of indigenous um, uh, uh, like resources. Yeah. Uh, that And so I, I could see like that sort of strategy clumping maybe being more yeah. productive. So, like, this this is why I think this book is interesting is because, like, at very least, like, mm-hmm. it's it's trying to be kind of prickly in a certain way with sure. these categories. And I think, like, I think I think people should pick it up and take a look at it, uh, A, because, like, the poetry is all really interesting. And I think that's that's always it's a nice thing. It's a great list of people. Piece. Yeah. Even just the um, partial list you read. Yeah. But, like, I think, I think, like, to pick this up and kind of push against it would be really productive. Uh, and I'm doing that in a paper, but like, I'd love to hear what other people mm. think about it. Cause it's not a bad anthology, just like kind of like, I think the way it's the way it, the, the kind of category it's uh, categorization it sets up is kind of flawed, mm. but flawed in a kind of like, in the sense that like any categorization in something yeah, like this sure. is flawed. Um, yeah, the way I, I was just talking about it, like the flaw of that, for example, would be precisely losing this sort of, um, uh, say, uh, the way that, you know, indigenous groups maybe do band together in certain strategic ways to resist political power in Canada. Yeah. Right. So so I, you could quibble with any sort of organization for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, and I guess... Um... I'm trying to think of what else. 
what else I could talk about? I'm really loving the That's comic good. book series Gideon Falls. Like, I know I've talked about this okay. before, but like, if anyone's you know up on their comics lately, uh, this book Gideon Falls is just is increasingly um, impressively the series that I would recommend above all others uh, to people. It's, a, it's an existing, continuing series that's ongoing. It's, it's written by a Canadian writer in, uh, based in Toronto there called Jeff Lemire, uh, who's become a big name in comics. Uh, he's, you know, uh, right now he's doing, he, he, recently he was doing some uh, Batman's stuff for like this, you know, DC Black Label thing that they have, which is kind of like the new Vertigo thing at DC. But um, but this Gideon Falls is an image book, and it's ostensibly a horror comic uh, that has also this sort of science fiction element. The artist on this book is uh, Andrea Sorrentino and is a, an incredible... Uh, this is a book that, even though I think it is very well written and the story is really interesting... Um, I would recommend it alone for the panel layouts. <laughs> and it's such a weird thing to say, but like the actual panel layouts are something I've, things I've never seen before. Uh, they're really like strange and impressive. And uh, this book is literally like alone. It, it has a sound effect in it <laughs> that I've never seen anything like it whatsoever in comics. I immediately like stole the idea, <laughs> like because I was writing this comic at the time, and I literally like screenshot, I, like literally took a photo of it and like bought an extra copy of the issue and like sent it to the artist, and it was like you gotta do some sort of sound effect like this, you know? It's like uh, just a fascinating uh, series, and it, you know I I can say with for a fact. Leo has had a direct influence on this thing that I'm doing. So at least one other uh, comic it's influenced, but it's, it's, you know, a fascinating book that is um, um, about it. Just as I'm talking, I just issue 23 just came out. So it's a little ways in, but it's not so far in that you can't be going back and like, you know, catching up on this comic. But anyway, in terms of like, uh, new comics or these you know various comics i'm reading that's uh that's my one recommendation above all i like jeff lemire a lot in general although there's a couple of his stuff i'm not so impressed with but uh, for the most part he's you know fast becoming my new favorite kind of comic writer at the moment Gideon falls is uh supposedly it's going to be a tv series but you know we'll see about that they always announce these things but, uh, but yeah, what else is on your must read list? For what else is on days? my, I was going to grab, I was going to grab one, but like it's across the room for me. So give me one second. Well, while you're grabbing it, I'll, uh, maybe just recommend another, uh, comic series that I like a lot at the moment, which is something is killing the children, which is a much more vicious uh, title. It's actually by written by one of the main Batman writers uh, for, for a time, James Tinian. But Something is Killing the Children is another extremely impressive horror series with a really interesting um, art layout uh, and, and art approach that, again, I recommend you know, he- heavily. Is, oh, it's no Gideon Falls. What book are you looking at there, then? 
so like I, uh, so I'm I'm limited in in terms of new stuff. I've been spending a lot of time like, um, re like re- like reading stuff off my shelf. But I did order mm-hmm. a few back in uh, May or June. Uh, newer ones, uh, and I grabbed I grabbed a couple off the shelf that maybe I would mention that I thought were pretty interesting. One is this book by um, uh, Natalie Diaz, who's a who's a Mojave writer, um, and I I liked this book. It's kind of like a book of like lyric po- poetry, but it it um, it has these poems kind of in the middle of the book. Where there are these kind of like um, this is poem uh, exhibits from the American Water Museum, which is a serial poem, like a numbered serial poem, but like the numbers are kind of like out of order. So it's kind of it's got this like really nice um, uh, durational um, serial thinking to it, um, and. Um, and so the, those are those are the pieces in this book that I really quite like. Uh, I also like it has a lot of like basketball poems, which reminded me of like my friend Mercedes Ng. I almost texted her and said, "Have you read this Natalie Diaz book? It has all these basketball poems in it?" Uh, so I thought I mentioned I thought I mentioned that. The other one uh, that I ordered that I quite liked is this book called um, uh, "Body Count" by Kyla Jamieson, um, and. Um, I think I, I liked it because it has this. Uh, we were talking about before we turn on the recording about like Metatron Press a little yeah. bit, um, which if you don't know is like a Montreal press. They're kind of like post alt lit as far as anyone would want to admit admit to being like post alt lit. Um, but um, where um, they're kind of like house style as much as they have one as they re- is the a lot of the poets, uh, who, uh, put stuff out of Metatron. It's this kind of like, um, autobiographical, uh, kind of minimal, often very funny, um, like pop culture, bathed pop culture poems. And this book, uh, body count, even though it came out of Nightwood, um, I think is kind of, um, it's another example of kind of Metatron's out of Montreal, but there's a few writers that they've published who are kind of writing in a similar, similar style, um, that are out of Vancouver. One is Asia Moore, who I mentioned, and the other is this is this writer uh, Kyla Jamison, who like I kind of like the specificity. Just in that poems. book again, sorry. It's called Body Count. Okay. It's got this kind of specificity cut with this like personal directness. Like that, I quite like. Um, so here, here's the opening poem of the book. It's called "Major Recurring Role." Last night, I watched a girl I used to work with die on TV. A mob boss strangled her character. Last time I saw her, I was wearing a uniform that included an ugly hat and making ten fifty an hour. I can't remember what she ordered. Probably a smoothie. I wonder if she felt bad for me. I could have pretended not to remember her, but I was beyond shame by then. We'd met in Paris and again in New York, where we'd modeled clothes in a designer's store, just like the women on Rodeo Drive in D2, The Mighty Ducks, but less glamorous. I took an acting class before I moved away from the center of things, but didn't like the roles for women. I wanted better lines. Hmm. So that's the kind of like, um, like tone of the book. I quite like it. 
I know she's uh, she's friends with uh, Kayla Zaga, and I don't want to say, oh, this book's just like Kayla Zaga, but it's not. But it does share some of the, hmm. like a similar DNA. Um, yeah, so I thought those those two books were quite good, uh, and I won't mention the ones that I that I'm that I also bought that were also good, but like maybe I didn't like quite as much. What uh, people let's can end... check my list and go, why does Ryan hate my book? <laughs> people always do stuff like that, eh? That's why I stopped doing Goodreads, or, or rather, I picked up Dina Del Bucchia's uh, approach of you give everything five stars, because that <laughs> way uh, nobody gets mad at you for only giving them four stars or whatever. <laughs> um, let's end off with just talking briefly about what we're either reading now or are going to read next. So uh, by the time this comes out, uh, I will have already put out the episode where I talked to Sleema Nawaz. Um, uh, but, you know, when we were recording this, uh, <laughs> I uh, am, so not when this comes out, but when I'm recording it, um, the book I'm reading now is her book, uh, Sleema Nawaz, is Songs for the End of the World. So it's a novel, um, and it is, uh, Salima is kind of in this interesting position where she's, now has been putting out a novel about a pandemic, uh, corona, yeah. a novel virus, coronavirus um, that kind of you know sweeps across the world and causes uh, this you know complete uh, social upheaval. Now she wrote and edited and completed all this book in 2019. Um, so, she, but you know here it is, uh, well before you know uh, there was even the, the kind of hint of this sort of uh, scenario. Um, she started writing it, uh, in, you know, back in like 2013. Um, but, uh, now here she is, you know, putting the book out at this time and it's, you know, been a really weird and interesting kind of <laughs> scenario for her. She's in Montreal right now too. So right in the epicenter in Canada, you know, <laughs> so it's been like this crazy surreal experience for her. But anyway, the book is, is wonderful. Uh, I really recommend it. Again, by the time this thing comes out, I've already people could already you know go back and listen to the episode with Salima where we talk more about this book after I read it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would uh, Salima Nawaz, Songs for the End of the World. Her last book was uh, Born and Bread, which was one of the uh, uh, selections on Canada Reads, and then her first uh, short story book, uh, she won the Journey Prize for you know one of those stories and so on and so forth. So. You know, she's kind of somebody people might know, um, but is, you know, a super impressive uh, new novel out. As of the time I'm talking, when, it, when it, you know, when, when this comes out, it'll have been a few months out. Yeah. What about you? What are you reading or about to read? Oh, man. I feel like I'm, like, totally adrift where <laughs> I've got a stack of books that I should look at, but I don't want to read it. I just want to get really good at Fall Guys. Uh, oh, instead, are you playing video? Fall Guys? So I'm marketing Fall, Fall Guys right now, eh? Like oh, okay. for this uh, freelance video game stuff I'm doing. Yeah, um, don't tell your boss, but I don't think they need to market that game anymore. It, they don't need to. No, I'm. I've, <laughs> I don't, it's pretty much t- doing its own job. Yeah. Um. So, but that like, game's going nuts. So, so, but to but to talk in abstract to kind of actually try to answer your question, uh, I've been reading a lot. Um, for this pair of papers that I'm writing. So I've been rereading like Shane Rhodes that I need to finish rereading. Uh, I've been reading a bit of Christine Stewart, a bit of Rachel Zolf. Uh, I've been reading about, I've been cramming like, 
uh, half books about like the politics of recognition, which may or may not show up on my list. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, I, um, I, I, I want to find a way to like catch up with the poetry that I missed. Cause I feel like I've, I've I feel like I've done okay. Like I've read like, uh, maybe 10 of the books that came out in the last season, but like, I feel like I missed a ton and I feel like, I feel like, um, um, I don't like the kind of guilt trip of like, oh, my book is lost. No one will read it because of the pandemic. Cause I don't think poetry books work that way. Uh, cause you, you don't have to read the book the month it comes out. Uh, that's my plea to like everyone is like, you can read the book two years down the line and it still counts. You still read the book, but I know like, uh, money fucks things up, but, um, but I would like to kind of like catch up a bit. So, so I'm going to have to go and figure out what the hell even came out in the past like six months and then what's coming out in the fall. Is there anything you're excited for in the fall in terms of poetry? You know, I just got a big stack of books from Coach House uh, and from other places for October. And I don't know, I haven't looked closely at them yet, but at a glance, there's some pretty interesting looking stuff. I'll just walk, you know, and talk a little bit because I'm on this headset where I can walk away from the computer and still come in clear ish. But I mean, the, we could play a game where you read, you read the name of the dun, book dun, and then dun, I dun, tell dun, you whether dun, it's good or not. Have you, but you haven't read it yet. I know. That's what people want to hear is they just want to hear my kind of like advance uh, hunch about like Kyla James. Okay. This is the book right here. So I thought I, okay, I'm going to pull it off my shelf. I'll read that pretty soon. Uh, Sarah Dowling's got a book coming out. I'm, and oh yeah, Ken, I saw that. I'm really yep. interested in that. And Ken Babstock has a new book coming out that looks super yeah, yeah. interesting. So like, those are the that. two I'm really, those are both at a coach house. And so those are the two I'm the most interested in right now. Um, they also sent me a book by Ian Williams, uh, he's, Coach House is doing another Ian Williams book. So I'll read probably this book before I read his other book. I'll read his book that's not out yet. That's not out for like months <laughs> before I read his book that's been out for a while. Before you read his celebrated novel. Yeah, I know. I mean, I got them both. I bought them both. So I, I bought his novel, actually, if I recall. No, but those, those, sound, those sound great. I'll put those on my list. Do you know what this one's? Sachiko Murakami. Oh, yeah. Out of Arsenal Pulp. So I'm looking forward to that. September is out. I'm just looking at it here. Um, so that looks really good. Uh, so I'm ex- Dennis Cooley, uh, The Mute Sings, is coming out of At Bay Press. Now I've read this. This is book. He gave me this book uh, a while back. But I don't think it's actually out uh, for a while. But it's it's a really impressive uh, Cooley book. Now, Cooley is a guy who's got like two, three books coming out. I've read them all. Uh, I don't know when, like, two of them Turnstone's putting out. I'm not sure when precisely they're putting them out. I've got, I blurbed, like, these two books, and I haven't seen them yet. Um, But my impression is they're supposed to be out, like, right away or or shortly. This At Bay Press is the third Cooley book that's coming out. So Cooley may have, like, three books out in one month. I don't know. I'm not sure on the timeline of it. But those are the ones I'm most interested in. You really want to impress your poetry friends, uh, when they're telling you to read the the newest hits from from uh, Cooley, from 
Oh, Anstruther wow. Press. I, I shouldn't. I like. I like Jim and Anstruther. I think they do good work. I was trying to think of like what people post about on Twitter all the time. It's like whatever chapbook has come out of like Anstruther. Oh, yeah. Um, like you could just say, "Oh, I'm really looking forward to the new Dennis Cooley," and everybody will think you're talking about some hip young writer because no one outside of yeah. Winnipeg knows who Dennis Cooley is. Well, they've kind of like fallen off the Cooley train. They should get back on it. But like at Bay Press, so look at this book. I'm I'm on the video here. Maybe I'll post this video later, Ryan, uh, so people can see. But at Bay has done it's a hardcover um, with you know a little pine bird in here. Uh, plus, it's got this you know great uh, a dust jacket here. It's hurting my eyes. It looks a lot like uh, what was what was Cooley's like selected poems from the mid nineties. Uh, Sunfall. Sun, Sunfall yeah. has a similarly gaudy, uh, overly bright cover. This one yeah. I think looks look does that job better. I like that cover too, but but this one does look better than that one. And yeah, he's got this you know, uh, but yeah, it's a beautifully designed book. At Bay Press, people I don't think people really know much about at bay press like they're kind of starting to make a bit more of a wide impression um, but they do great books and really um well they almost exclusively do hardcovers not mm. entirely but almost exclusively do like hardcovers um and, and have win, been winning a lot of design awards i don't know if you saw mary barnes they did a, i think a soft paperback for her but they have like they did like when they do a paperback they'll do like french flaps and they'll put like foil on it you know like it's you know, they do some pretty impressively designed Put it, stuff. Do, do all the stuff to a paperback that makes it hard to read? Yeah, exactly. Well, well, inside of it, this is just like the cover. They won't like make the, yeah. the stuff foil. But yeah, it's... Yeah, um, don't don't tell Coach House that I hate the paper that they use because it makes the book. I love the Coach House paper. I know, everybody but me likes it. They have special <laughs> paper they only use for themselves, at least, the, at least how they used to do it. I mean, I'm biased, of course, because I published the coaches, but I I, yeah. I I like their paper quite a bit. I'm curious to see like uh, the um, but yeah, those are the books. I would say like the new Cooley books, uh, whatever they may be. There's like three of them coming out. I don't know when uh, precisely. Uh, Sarah Dowling, uh, Ken Babstock, Ian Williams, uh, all out of Coach House, and Sachiko Merakami out of. Oh, the uh, one I do know about is Talents putting out. Talent's putting out the completed. Uh, I don't know if it's completed, but like, uh, like they're reissuing music at the heart of thinking. Fred Waugh. Oh wow, you're kidding me. That's my so favorite Fred Waugh book. But it's oh, sorry, breathing my name with a sigh is my favorite, uh, and that's my second. But music at the heart of thinking is the one where he does like uh, he writes in the introduction that like the poems are improvisational, but like based on some combination of of jazz and drunken tai chi. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're they're great, um, mm -hmm. and like it's nice to see because they were they were in like three it was three or four over like over a bunch of books and like a bunch of it was never published outside of journals and there's probably he's probably written a bunch that have never seen the light of day. I don't want to oversell this because I have not seen the book, uh, but like I'm pretty I'm pretty excited for it and a lot of it's yeah. just been out of print for ages. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me, and uh, next time, when you're done your 95 books, we'll do another one and uh, catch up with everybody. Maybe at the oh, end I of the better, year. But I, better, uh, I better get on it, because like, I'm not finishing anything right now. <laughs> yeah, get on it. Well, you still got time. It's only August, like I say. Yeah. But, uh, but and you're, what, 69 books in? So you're not even yeah. uh, that far off. Well, thanks for talking to me, Ryan. Uh, yeah. Keep it up. 
keep right in the wrong way. Yeah.